The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Um, there's a story of a rich guy, I mean a wealthy, wealthy individual, who died. And he ha- had the reading of his will, and his, his relatives were somewhat, you know, greedy. Like They were kind of looking forward to his death. And so he... Um, you know, he passed on, and the relatives all gathered around, and the lawyer got the will out, and he began to read it, and it said, I, Thomas Billings, being of sound mind and body, spent it all. And, like, and so um, that is not what you want to hear if you're looking forward to an inheritance, and that is certainly not what Jesus has done. When we look at the life of Jesus He paid for it all. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 14, we find some very deep theology. And um, we find that really, if you look at it, um, we find the will of Jesus. And so we talked about last week that we, like, we we are rich people. Um, I was encouraged, my daughter, um, she was, uh, you're encouraged anytime anybody learns anything from you when you're teaching, but you're super encouraged when one of your children learns something from one of your sermons. And she was talking about how one of her uh, friends was talking about how she was having a rough day. This day was horrible, and, and Faith told her, said, no, I'm, I, I don't know exactly what she said, but she said, I'm, living, I'm enjoying the riches of Christ. And I was encouraged by that, and that's what we're supposed to do. We see in the following verses, so chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we saw that men, our, our, our blessings in the Lord are wrapped up in Christ. Well, in verses 4 through 14, we begin to unpack the very will of the Lord, if you will, is that Jesus, when we see what he did by coming to the planet, he, he, he wrote us into his will, he died so the will can be a, could be in effect, then he rose from the dead and he advocates for us on our behalf that the will, Lord, or that the will itself can be followed by us individually as believers. And so I'm encouraged to unpack the source of our wealth today. And, and again, we look at the book of Ephesians, and it's not this, this letter that is written to like correct or, or rebuke or deal with heresy. It's just a very, very encouraging letter. And I'm kind of reminded of, uh, you used to watch Jimmy Fallon a lot, but on, I think it's on Fridays, he'd do, he do his thank you letters. Thank you. And he begins to thank all these different people. And this is kind of like that. This is kind of like a dear church thing. And as I unpack it and as you, as you read it, we need to be thinking like this is, this is what the Lord himself has preserved for us for thousands of years that has been inspired by the, God like, and, and, and is like the inerrant word of God. It is a letter where he's saying, dear church, and so he's saying to each of us as we read it, we can say, dear Jimmy, or, or you know, dear Tina, or who, you know, whoever, it's to us. We are the body of Christ. And so as we unpack these um, verses 4 through uh, 15, we see some very deep theology. And the, and the first thing that he says to us is, dear church, you have the wealth of the Father. Like, like you have the wealth of the Father himself. Now, what, is, what do we mean? Well, look at verses four, um, uh, 4, 5, and 6. And he says, for he chose us, in him before the creation of the world. Like just, just stop there for a minute. Like we, dear church, he chose us before he created anything. 
That is the wealth of the Father. What did he choose us for? To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. As we look at that, man, whoa. Like we could spend like months on those few verses right there. We, we won't, but we could. Very deep, powerful theology. And what we learn from it is Paul is saying to us, like it, it, it's, this letter is like, you know, as you study it, there's some who say that it, 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 the way it reads is it's, it's almost like Paul was in this spiritual trance and, and, and God just opened up his eyes and allowed him to see it all. Like just to see what he wanted to do, just to see all the way back from eternity past to, to present and even into the future that he's writing to us, dear church. And, and, and we see that we have the wealth of the Father. And in that wealth, what do we find? That we are chosen. Like, we are chosen. Like, you don't become, you don't, you don't choose to become a Christian. You cannot become a follower of Jesus unless the Father chooses you. Okay? You don't just decide, I want to go to this church, or I want to be a part of that church, and, and all of a sudden, because you're in a certain church, you know the Lord. You cannot know the Lord unless he chooses you. And, and, and so we begin to see and unpack that even in John, John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus said, you have not chosen me, I chose you. And so as a, as a believer in the Lord, like to look down and I, I, I'm so reminded of so many times I've just prayed and like, I'm, I'm just walking around and talking to the Lord and saying, Lord, I, like, I don't deserve to talk to you. And he's like, I know, but I chose you. Like, I chose you, Jimmy. And so as, as, as part of our wealth, when we look at what does it mean to be rich in Christ, we are the chosen. We do not respond against our will. The scripture certainly teaches that, that we do not do that, but we respond because of God's grace that the grace of God is shed abroad in our hearts and we respond because of the grace of the Lord himself. And so we see in this passage and, and in many others that, that we see that divine sovereignty is, is taught throughout the pages of scripture. But we also have the freedom of, of will. And so we have human responsibility. <laughs> you have free will and d divine sovereign hand knowing everything. And, and for thousands of years, like, Theologically, that has been talked about and studied, and and like it's it's just there. So like, I I feel like I work pretty hard to to teach the word, but I'm not going to be able to explain that one to you today. Like it's just there. It is it is what the Lord teaches us in His Word is that He is sovereign and He chooses us, and we have a role when He chooses us. And I think as we we progress through this this um, sermon today, is that you'll you'll see kind of how it works together. But but we have a responsibility. But as far as the as we look at what it means to know the Lord, we are chosen by Him. And as far as the the Father is concerned, and I love this again. So we talk about the Trinity. Like you don't find the word Trinity like it's it's like it's not really 
It's not something we see, but we, we, like the word itself, but it's there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They make up who God is. And so when we look at God the Father, as far as he is um, concerned, we are saved when he chose us in eternity past, before he created the anything. Like we were saved right then, as far as God the Father goes. As far as um, God the Son, Jesus is concerned, we were saved when he died on the cross of Calvary. And so God the Father, he looks at it, and we are saved in eternity past. God the Son looks at it, and we are saved whenever he dies on the cross of Calvary. And God the Spirit, as far as he is concerned, we are saved when we yield to the calling of God. And so we look at that, and we go, man, like, I'm chosen. Like, take everything away. I'm still chosen of God. It is the wealth of the Father, and it is mine. And not only does the wealth of the Father that has belonged to me, that he has chosen me, like, and, and, and I've entered this relationship, and I've taken my responsibility and just yielded to the choice, and so now I am part of, of the kingdom. I'm also adopted. Like Paul, he uses this word, and, and God uses him to coin this, this, this uh, adopted as his sons or, or daughters, if you will, through Jesus Christ. And, and he talks about predestination. And so this is one that, like what, like, what does that mean? Like, does that mean that some are predestined to heaven and some are, are predestined to hell? No, when we study the scriptures, we will learn that predestination refers to what God does for saved people. And so anytime the word predestination is used, it's talking about the saved themselves. So nowhere in scripture are we taught that people are predestined to hell. We get into the kingdom, and this is very important as we look at this, we get into the kingdom by regeneration, not adoption. And so how do we get into the kingdom? The grace of God is, is, is shed abroad to us. We yield to, to the Spirit's calling as God graciously offers this invitation, and, and he regenerates us. That's why I say, like, you are, like, you're sitting here, and you don't know about all this stuff I'm talking about, and you're like, man, my mom and dad, they come, or, like, they say, you do not know Jesus. Like, you just don't know, and that's why you feel that way, because you are dead spiritually. The scripture is so plain and clear to us that one is either alive in Christ or they are dead in their sins and trespasses. And so religious people go to church and they can continue to be dead in their sins and trespasses. Going to church doesn't make you alive in Christ. The only thing that can make you alive in Christ is, is the regeneration of God inside of you and, and that's the whole resurrection story. Over and over we see this, is that, that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. Why? So that our spirits could be regenerated because we are dead in sin. You, you can even believe in God and be dead in sin. Like, belief is not it. Like, there has to be a work of the Holy Spirit Whereas Christ rose from the dead, he is risen inside of you and he lives inside of you. And the living resurrected Christ through the third person of the Trinity has risen in your heart. And that's what it means to be regenerated. That, that's what it means to be born again. You've gone from not only having a physical life, but a spiritual life. Every person that we see has an eternal soul but they do not have spiritual life. 
We could look at them and we see there's a spiritual component to their being, but the New Testament spiritual life that we see taught in the scripture, the only way to have it is through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit himself. And when that happens, then um, we know him. And so he uses this term adopted. He has adopted us. Now, what does that mean? Well, adoption is God giving us adult standing in the kingdom. So whenever we say, okay, we, we are adopted sons and daughters of God, we're not seeing that that's the same thing as being born again. We're saying that in God's grace and in his um, sovereignty and in his plan, he gives us and views us as adopted, and so he gives us an adult standing in the kingdom. Why is that important? Well, when you think in terms of, okay, a a child, maybe a a child, uh, maybe a, a, a wealthy child, we could think of Bruce Wayne, right? Fictional character, Batman. Like, until he is older, the inheritance does him no good. He cannot control it. But when he becomes an adult, it is his to utilize as he sees fit. And so in the kingdom of God, what happens is we come into the kingdom and we're regenerated, we're born again, but then God adopts us and gives us adult standing in the kingdom so the inheritance of the wealth of the Father is available to us right here and now. And so the sad thing is, is that we have a lot of wealthy people in the kingdom who are not living out this adult standing. They're living like babies. They're living like teenagers. They're living like rebellious people who don't understand the wealth and the riches of the Father are at our disposal to utilize as we um, feel God leading us on a daily basis. And so he does this so we can claim our inheritance and and, and enjoy our spiritual wealth. And so the, the Father is saying to us, dear church, I've not only chosen you, I have adopted you and changed your standing. And so we don't have to wait to enjoy the inheritance when we die or get older. It is ours now. Like, like I think I just got to amen. So the inheritance of the Lord, like it is mine. Now, just to show you Like, this is a given. This is a given. I get this. Teach me something new, Jimmy. Well, let me just challenge you a little bit. How much last week did you think about the spiritual inheritance you have as compared to how much of your life was spent on physically what you're trying to get right now? I see the devil like he gets us off track. And he gets us sidetracked to where we're confused by all the things that we want that really have nothing to do with spiritual inheritance, have nothing to do with the spiritual wealth of the Father. And so we, we, we get into this place where we're sort of schizophrenic spiritually and our existence is not working like we're designed because we're pursuing things that have nothing to do with the inheritance that God has given us as he's chosen us and adopted us and changed our standing within the kingdom. But not only that, he has accepted us. Now, now, like it's a good thing to be accepted in the kingdom. It's a good thing um, to, to know that we are accepted by anyone. Like when, when I, I accept you into my life, that's a good thing. When you accept me into your life, that, that is a good thing. And, and we see that the scripture teaches us that he has accepted us. God the Father has accepted us based upon who Christ is and who we are in Christ. And, and I, I shared a couple of weeks ago, like people are either 
outside of Christ or they are in Christ. And so when we are in Christ, we are accepted by God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. And, and, and we are called blameless. Like, like, that's a good word, man. Like, sometimes we're talking to people and we say things like, we're, we're talking about a problem that maybe they were involved in, and we say, well, I, I don't blame you for this, but, but we're talking about it. We say, well, good. That's kind of like the disclaimer. Oh, man, I'm glad you don't blame me, or I don't want you to think that, that I blame you. And so to be blameless is a really wonderful thing. And so when God the Father looks at us because of Christ and because he's chosen us and adopted us and, and he has accepted us, we are blameless. Like if, if you are thinking about a sin that you committed five years ago, you're being, being held in bondage that you don't belong in. You are blameless in the sight of God. And so if we're going to claim our inheritance, then part of our inheritance is, is anything that we may have committed, any sin that we may have committed against God, we are blameless in that. And that is a wonderful thing that we see the wealth of the Father. But he goes on and he says, Dear church, not only do you have the wealth of the Father, you have the wealth of the Son. Each person in the, in the Godhead makes a spiritual deposit into our lives. So the deposit that God the Father makes is that we are chosen, adopted, accepted. Well, we begin to unpack verse 7. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven. Everything in heaven is to have unity and on earth, with Christ in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Like over and over, we just see like God is doing this. Why is he doing it? For the praise of his glory. When we see this, the first thing we find, one of the things that we find, and we could find, again, like you could spend another three months on those few verses, is that we are redeemed. And to be redeemed means um, to purchase and set free by paying a price. When this was written, there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. They were bought and sold like furniture. To help us to kind of wrap our minds around what that would be like, like today, you could get on your cell phone, you could get on Craigslist, and you could buy you a person. All you needed was the money to do it. 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. They understood what was being communicated by this idea of redemption because you could also buy a slave who somebody else was selling a slave so you could buy that slave and redeem them and set them free. And so what Christ has done for us is he has purchased us and, and he has taken us from a place of being in slavery to freedom. And so when we look at this, we are, um, if we were slaves, we would be poor, but because we are sons, we are rich. Like we are rich and we ought to be living in freedom. Now, what does this mean? Because we have physical freedom. 
especially like in this country we live, we have the physical freedom of being an American, but we're supposed to have that same kind of spiritual freedom. And too many times, even though we believe in Christ and we have been regenerated, we have been duped into living out a lie from the enemy and he has deceived us and we're living in bondage. Like we're living in bondage when it comes to the way that that we do our work. We're living in bondage when it comes to the way that we live our marriages. And like marriage is hard. Like it's just a hard thing. And I know because I've been married 21 years this week. Don't y'all think it's hard? It's hard, okay? And I know that it would be nearly impossible for me to, to I would go as far to say as I do not think I would be married to this woman today if it were not for the Lord. Not because the Lord has changed her. It is me. Like the Lord continues to do a work in my life. And when we're living in freedom, like like last night I just looked over at my wife and I looked at Abby and I don't know what I said, but I said something to the effect that to let her know that I enjoyed her. And some of you, you know, some of you aren't enjoying each other. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Like we're supposed to enjoy our children. We're supposed to enjoy each other. And it should be something that is supernaturally happening in our lives that, that we are free to live, just to, to be alive, man. And, and, and it'll not be a, a, a real difficult thing for us as long as we're walking as freedmen. But as soon as we start walking like slaves, we've gotten on the wrong side of the equation. And it's easy for us to do, and the enemy will try to convince us of that. And so what I'm trying to do to you is the same thing Paul was trying to do. Dear church, you have the wealth of the son. You have been redeemed. Your husband has been redeemed. Don't treat him like he hasn't been. Your wife has been redeemed of the Lord. She is no longer a slave of the enemy. Treat her like a free woman. Your children, if they have been redeemed, have been brought into the kingdom, treat them like free people in Christ. Treat your parents as if they have freedom and the only way that we can reciprocate that kind of love is if we're living it ourselves. So don't ask your spouse to do what you are incapable of right now. Or maybe I shouldn't even say you're you're incapable of just what you're not doing. And, and, and I say that not to beat anybody up. I say that to proclaim, you are free. Live like a free man. Live like a free woman. Uh, don't go to work. Like, I don't understand, like, when people go and they let um, the things, like, I understand that we get discouraged from things, but there's nothing that should hold us down and get us into a place where we just feel like we can't enjoy our lives. What is that? We are free in Christ. We have the wealth of the Father. We have the wealth of the Son. He has uh, redeemed us. And not only has he redeemed us, he's forgiven us. And forgiven means to carry away. What has he carried away? My sins. I'm reminded in the Old Testament of how the Levitical priest would bring in. And once a year, he would bring two uh, goats and they would be brought before the altar. And he would take a knife and he would slit the throat of one goat as he confessed the sins of the people. 
And the goat would bleed out and he would sprinkle blood on the altar. And it was a foreshadowing of what was going to happen on the cross of Christ, that he was going to die and shed his blood for our sins. And he would take the other goat and he would place his hand on that goat and he would pray over that goat and he would confess the sins of the people on that goat. Then he would take that goat out to the wilderness and let it go. And it would go on. And the sins of the people were being carried out into the wilderness. And it was a foreshadowing of what happens for us. Like our sins are carried away as far as the east is from the west. And so we cannot let ourselves get beat up by um, the enemy who would tell us how bad we are because we have sinned. Our sins have been forgiven. They're carried away as far as the east is from the west. And that is the wealth of the sun. And so we have this redemption thing going on. We have this forgiveness thing going on. And then we have this revelation thing. The wealth of the sun means that we have had the mystery revealed to us. He uses the Greek word mysterion, and mystery here doesn't mean some like magical thing or, or something of that nature. It means um, that something that was a sacred, hidden secret of God has been revealed. Like we have that secret. We know the secret. You see, if we look at the world, sin is tearing everything apart, but Christ will put everything back together. And we are part of that. Like, like that's the divine secret of God. And it's not hidden from us. For ages past, like the Jews would look at it in all of the Old Testament, that's what this is about. And that's why all this foreshadowing is going on. We look at David killing Goliath. Does that mean that we can look at that and go, well, David killed Goliath, so I can kill a Goliath too? Certainly there's some takeaway and encouragement. But what it means is that there was a Goliath of sin. And, and, and Christ came through what looked like it was weak and he slayed the giant of sin and the enemy in our lives and he's been defeated. We, we can look at Abraham and he has to sacrifice Isaac. What is going on? He's saying, look, this is a secret that is hidden, but I'm revealing it in ways and it will make sense later. But now it is making sense. The secret has been unpacked for us. We know the sacred secret of God. Like, this is the most important part about this, I think, for us as a church. The people we're doing life with don't know the secret. Not everybody in our home knows the secret. Just because you know the secret doesn't mean your children know the secret. And so what is, what is the process? Well, it's, the process is that we are living in such freedom as wealthy people in the kingdom that they can see There's something different about our lives and the secret has been unlocked for us because God has revealed it through Christ and we have received him as he's chosen us, adopted us and accepted us. We have received the wealth of the father. We have been redeemed and forgiven and the secret has been revealed in our lives. And so we are to be a testimony of the secret. But if we're living in bondage, all we're doing is creating misery for those around us. When you go to work, Do you reveal the secret? Are you a revelation of the secret, the sacred secret of God? Can people look at your life and go, look, there is something that God is trying to say to me through this person, or do they just look at you like they look at everyone else? Because if they look at you like they look at everyone else, then you certainly don't value the sacred secret of God that should be being unpacked in your life. 
And, and so like, it's, just, it's a supernatural thing that is supposed to happen as we're enjoying and inheriting the supernatural wealth of God. And so, dear church, you have the wealth of the Father, you have the wealth of the Son, and, and obviously we, we know where, where we're going is that, dear church, you have the wealth of the Spirit. And, and Paul here, he begins to put it all together and he says, you also, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's procession to the praise of his glory. He just keeps saying that, to the praise of his glory. And so we really need to pay attention to this because what we find right here in this last part of this, this segment of scripture that we're unpacking today is we find the process of salvation. So some of you may be sitting there and going, well, man, you, like, dude, have I been regenerated? Well, Paul tells us you can know. The process of salvation is, number one, you gotta hear the gospel. That's why we have people that do things like that I do. We preach the gospel. That's why it's important for you to live out the sacred secret, the unveiling of the sacred secret in your life on a daily basis because you are a living representation of the gospel. We are sermons of Christ roaming around this planet proclaiming what Christ did in our lives. And so as we look at that, we're hearing the gospel. The first step to becoming a follower of Jesus and, the, and receiving the gospel is hearing it. Then we must believe it. And how do we know when something has happened and we've been regenerated as we receive the spirit. Like over and over, like we see in the scripture teaching us is that there is a seal of salvation. And so we ought to be living like we have the spirit of God in us. Like are you living that way? Like, do, do we, can we look at you and go, yeah, like, here's a person who is sealed with the Spirit of God. Because Paul says, this is what we ought to be able to see. We ought to immediately be able to come together and, and connect with one another and go, here's a person who's sealed with the Spirit. I talked to a pastor on the phone who was coming up to do the Heron funeral um, of Scott's father this um, weekend. And as I talked with him on the phone and we weren't on the phone for a minute and I could tell the guy is sealed with the spirit. I can't tell everybody in this room is sealed with the spirit. Like, I can't tell. I could tell a bunch of you are. And I, I'm hopeful that everyone is but I'm pretty confident that some of you I know are. What do you do with that? I hope that you will listen and go out, do I have the wealth of the Father? Do I have the wealth of the Son? Do I have the wealth of the Spirit? Because if you in fact have that wealth, people will be able to pick up on it because you are a marked man or woman. The Spirit of God is evidence that the transaction has happened in your life. And I, I, I interact with people all the time that they claim that they know the Lord, but I see no marking on their lives. And this is what Paul is saying. No, you can't hide it. This is what Jesus said. Hey, listen, I will make you a wellspring of life. It'll come bubbling out of you. You can't contain it. You can't. It cannot be contained. It is God in you. And when God gets in you, he, he, will, he will make his way out. And our freedom is found when we are allowing ourselves, at, we're dying to the will of ourselves 
on a daily basis and we're letting the Father have his way and the wealth of God to come out of us. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so we see that we are sealed, but not only we are, are sealed and, and this, this seal marks us, it marks us as God's possession. Like this person belongs to God and we can recognize that they belong to God. We are valuable to God. Like dear church, you are valuable to God as a marked possession. Now, now watch how this all comes together. The spirit of God, this is why it is so important for you to let the spirit reign in your life. Okay, like I know this is challenging teaching, but hey, I'm not here to be your buddy. I'm here to make sure you know what it means to know the living God of the universe. That's what God has called me to do. And so the greatest thing that I can do in your life as a pastor to fulfill my role is teach you the truth. And as we look at the truth and we see that what is happening is that as we're sealed with the spirit of God and God is having his way and I become a marked man, this is very important for our eternal destiny. And, and this is why Jesus said, there are gonna be many people in the kingdom that said, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? Didn't we do, feed the hungry and cast out demons and all of this? And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You were never marked with the spirit of God. There are gonna be a lot of disappointments when Jesus returns. And my objective as a minister is that you are not one of them. Like that you, you can eagerly anticipate the return of Christ because he could come back today and you're so living in freedom that it wouldn't change you that much. Like, like your freedom is coming out of you. And, and this is important because when he returns, there's something in this proof of ownership that we are a possession of God. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 24, um, Paul is teaching us about the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ, about the doctrine. So there are a lot of people saying, well, there's no resurrection. He said, listen, man, if there's no resurrection, we are hopeless individuals. And in the midst of this teaching of the resurrection and and the return of Christ, and he's talking about Jesus coming back. Like he's coming back. Like we, like we need to constantly be reminded of that. He's coming back. And as believers, our whole lives and existence is about our, 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 our understanding and our looking forward to the Christ of the present is the Christ of the future. And he's coming back. And so when he comes back, what happens? Well, look at this um, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, remember, in Christ, not everybody who just believes in Christ, but everybody who's in Christ, marked with the spirit, they know Jesus. They know, like, like man, I'm gonna tell you something. How do you know? Like, there is no doubt in my mind that Jesus is not gonna look at me and say, Jimmy Holbrook, I never knew you. I know him. Like that's the assurance Paul wants us to have. And if you don't have that assurance, this is the most important message you're ever gonna hear in your life because that assurance in coming to that place where I know him, that's where the freedom is at. And what he's going to do, like, like look, look, look at this. He says, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn 
Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. So like Christ has already been risen from the dead and then when he comes back, he will raise all of the believers from the dead. Spiritually, we are already raised, but physically our bodies will be raised. And, and so all those who belong to him, then the end will come. And what will he do? He will, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after, he's just, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Okay, so this happens here and now spiritually. <laughs> like, like, man, come on. Like, like I meet Jesus and spiritually, whew, I come to life. I'm regenerated. I know Jesus. Like, I know him. He knows me. I have the Father. He is in me. I'm marked with the Spirit. Like, I know that the, the deal has been sealed. Like, the Spirit of God is in me. So spiritually, God has given me to Jesus. Read John chapter 16, 17, and 18, and you will see that as Jesus is praying, that you have given me, Father, these ones. He says that. So so like God the Father in eternity past gives the, the believer to God the Son who's living and dying on the cross of Calvary, and then God the Spirit, when we are given to Jesus, lives in the believer. Then Jesus, so he, we are resurrected and come to life spiritually through the generation, regeneration, the adoption, the acceptance. We are blameless, and now the Spirit lives in us, and so we are resurrected spiritually. God the Son sits on the throne of heaven listening to me preach this truth that he taught 2,000 thousand years ago, right now in this moment in time, the physical Jesus is looking down upon us. He returns to the planet and he resurrects all those in Christ. So spiritually, it's already happened for me. Physically, it will happen in the future. And when it happens, he will take the church, the kingdom of God, and give it back to God, the father in eternity past. This whole thing is about God. It's not about us. The whole thing is about, it's about God. What's, what, what does he say? Two, in order that we who are first might put our hope in Christ for what? For the praise of his glory. For the praise of his glory. For the praise of his glory. So when I step into my freedom and I live the life that God has called me to live and people can recognize that I'm marked with the Holy Spirit, Jesus is in me to the praise of his glory. This happens here and now spiritually, then and there physically. The big idea, I have what money can't buy. Do you have what money can't buy? That's what this whole thing is about. Like money can't get to this. The riches, here it is, the riches were planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, and presented by the Spirit. And our job, why why does Paul say, work out your salvation? Like, Like all this is like, sometimes I, sometimes as a human, I feel so desperate and inadequate. The church is dead. The American church is not alive in Christ like it was what I read here. Paul is saying, dear church, 
You have all the wealth of the Father. You have all the wealth of the Son. You have all the wealth of the Spirit. Come alive now. Come alive. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.